What is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hope everyone's having a great week so far, and everybody listened to our last Friday's episode, because remember, we are now doing two episodes a week of Going West, Tuesdays and Fridays. Yeah, we're super excited to be giving you guys extra content every single week. And also, we wanted to give you a little update about Patreon. So we are coming out with a crazy, crazy, crazy Italian case very soon. But we are unable to continue doing the Patreon shoutouts in the end of the episode after next week. It's been really hard to keep track. It's amazing we're getting so many patrons, but we keep missing patrons um, because it's been really hard to keep track. So we appreciate all of you and just wanted to give you a little forewarning. We're going to be doing them for two more weeks at the end of the episodes. Thank you guys so much for sharing the show and becoming patrons and just always supporting us. If you want to leave us a great review on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts, please do that. We always love reading them. It really makes our day. And it really helps the show. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for tuning in today. And let's get to it. All right, guys. This is episode 147 of Going West. So let's get into it. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. In November of 2007, a young Michigan girl was headed home on her bike after visiting with a friend, but she never returned. Once her body was found in a nearby cemetery, suspicions heavily weighed on a local man who suggested the family look there in the first place. But after years of searching for a killer, answers finally came when another girl was kidnapped. This is the story of Jody Perrick. Jody Christine Perrick was born on September 2nd, 1996 to her mother Valerie Joe Carver and her father alongside her brothers in Constantine, Michigan, which is a small village in southern Michigan that's very close to the Indiana border, actually. And it's a town that's safer than the state average as well as the national average. Anyway, 
As Jody grew up, she was described as, quote, the nicest girl. If she saw another kid by themselves, she was definitely the type to, like, go up to them and strike a conversation and see if they wanted to play with her. In November of 2007, adorable, blue-eyed, blonde Jody was newly 11 years old, and she had just begun her fifth grade year at Riverside Elementary School right there in Constantine just a few months earlier. Jody was also described as having a big heart, being very spunky, and even a little mischievous. At just 11, Jody was confident that she wanted to be a hairstylist when she grew up. She would tell her mom that when people feel pretty, they're happy. Jody also loved cooking and playing sports, her favorite being basketball, and her mom said that she was like a princess and a tomboy all wrapped up in one. At this time, Jody was living in Constantine with her mother, stepfather, and her two brothers. After school one chilly fall afternoon, Jody, sporting a black sweater, jeans, and black tennis shoes, and riding a silver mongoose bicycle, headed to a friend's house. It was around 4.45 p.m. on Thursday, November 8th, 2007, and this friend lived just up the road from Jody's family on East 3rd Street, which is about a block from downtown Constantine. After playing with her friend for a short while, Jody hopped back on her bike and headed home for dinner before 5.30 p.m. like she had promised her mom, Valerie Joe. And by the way, she goes by Joe, but we're gonna call her Valerie so you don't get Joe and Jody confused. It was around 45 degrees Fahrenheit as the sun began to set at this time, or roughly seven degrees Celsius. And as the minutes went by and 11-year-old Jody didn't walk through the door, her mother worried more and more. It really wasn't like Jody not to come home on time, and especially since it was almost completely dark out. So Valerie just knew that something was wrong. At 5.45 p.m., Valerie sped down to the friend's house that Jody had been at to learn that Jody had left. But so did her friend, who had gone to like this scouting meeting. I think it was like a Girl Scout meeting. So Valerie and the other mother determined that maybe Jody had tagged along. Still, Jody was always home by curfew. Like, it, it really wouldn't make sense for her to go to this meeting. Yeah, because she wasn't a part of that Girl Scout troop anyway, right? Yeah, and she was, like, she was, she knew she was supposed to go home. So they didn't get why she would go, but they just hoped, of course, that that's really where she was. But Valerie just had a hard time believing that Jody wouldn't have just come home. So she contacted friends and family, but no one knew where Jody was. Yet they banded together to help find her, which was amazing. Like right away, everybody's coming together to help find Jody. Full force out there. Absolutely. So about an hour and a half after Jody was set to arrive home on her bike, so around 7 p.m., Jody's friend returned home from that meeting and explained that Jody did not go with her. So Valerie went right down to the Constantine Police Department right away to report her missing. But Valerie felt in her heart that it was just too late. Like she she had she spoke later in an interview. In this moment, she felt that her daughter was dead. That's such an intense moment in feeling to have like you know, just just the fact that they had only been searching for a little while, but she's she's already getting this feeling. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a couple hours, but she's like Jody is 11 years old. She should have been home by now. Nobody knows where she is. So she truly felt in her heart that her daughter was no longer with her. So in her head, as if speaking to Jody, Valerie told her that she loved her and she was so sorry. 
Knowing that her daughter was afraid of the dark, she really didn't believe that Jody would be outside. And she just knew that someone had taken her, despite how unbelievable that thought was. I mean, just one day before this, Jody and her mom had gone to a local animal shelter looking for like a new addition to their family. And Jody fell absolutely in love with this chubby cat with big eyes named Zap. And due to the adoption bill, they had to leave empty-handed that day. But Jody hoped to see Zap again, and now she's just missing. You know, like everything's going normal in life, and suddenly Jody is nowhere to be seen. Like, how how could this happen? Right after reporting Jody missing, Valerie was joined by friends and family to check local parks, schools, and even construction sites in hopes of finding Jody alive and well. And one of the friends helping in the search was a 39-year-old man named Raymond McCann who was a reserve police officer with the Constantine Police Department. And for those who don't know what a reserve police officer is, they're either paid workers or volunteers, and they do things like street patrol, report writing, and other basic law enforcement duties. Jody's mom, Valerie, had actually known Raymond and his family for quite a while, since she used to date his brother, and they all kind of just grew up together. And in fact, Jody had a crush on one of Raymond's two young sons, so while this group was out looking for Jody, Raymond McCann suggested that they look at the local cemetery, which was just about a block or so from Jody's family home. And since they hadn't gone there yet, Valerie and her family and friends headed out that way. As they pulled up around 10.30 p.m., so five hours after Jody was last seen, the car Valerie was in suddenly shined its headlights across Jody's bicycle, which was leaning up against a headstone. As soon as Valerie saw this, she jumped out of the car before her friend had even stopped it, and she ran over desperately looking for her daughter. And just as they suspected, Jody's body was laying nearby in the cemetery grass. Her mother Valerie screamed and cried when she saw her, and immediately ran to cradle her in complete disbelief that just hours earlier, her young daughter was alive and well just visiting a friend. Valerie later reported that Jody looked peaceful and beautiful, like she was sleeping, since her eyes and mouth were closed. I can't even imagine the feeling of ending up in a cemetery and finding your child deceased there. And this all happened so fast, and... Like I had said, Valerie felt like this was going to be the outcome even after sh such a short amount of time. So it's so sad that, I mean, it's it's good that there was a quick resolution and they, and they knew where she was, but what a horrible thing, what a horrible ending of this night when, when they just really did hope that she was going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. And Jody was alone, so the town instantly feared that a child predator was on the loose and parents across Constantine and the neighboring areas were on high alert to stay close to their kids. Because again, super safe town, kind of everybody knows everybody, like who did this? Exactly. And there were no immediate indicators of how Jody actually died, but when her autopsy was conducted, it was determined that she had died of asphyxiation, and there was also evidence of sexual assault. Things were a bit clouded from the beginning because there was a lot of police scrutiny on the family, and this made a lot of people think someone directly in Jody's family was involved. But this only magnified the nightmare for them because Jody's mom, Valerie, knew that they were all just rumors and that no one in her family would ever harm Jody. 
She and her husband even took polygraph tests, so luckily, suspicions quickly lifted off of the Parrix. And I really wonder why, I couldn't find this, but I really wonder why there was so much suspicion on her family, because by all accounts, she had a great family. Clearly, her mom really cares about her. So I don't know where that came from. Yeah, it's interesting. And I know, you know, in a lot of investigations, they look, you know, first at the family. Like, that's the first thing that they do is they want to know everything about the family. Um, Which so, makes sense. I yeah, mean, that's so it, totally fair. Right. So it does make sense. But, but I mean, I feel like it wasn't just, oh, let's just rule the family out. There was this lingering suspicion on them for some reason. I, I just don't really get it. But anyway, there was another person that the police were looking at very early on because it just seemed all too convenient that Raymond McCann had suggested they look in the cemetery and then Jody's body just happened to be there. Raymond's reasoning for suggesting the cemetery was that it was simply based off of his experience with criminal investigations, as well as his knowledge of the town's geography and just a process of elimination. But police felt that he could be involved, so they questioned him intensely, and they even falsely told him that they had DNA evidence that linked him to the scene of the crime. On top of this, his story regarding where he was around the time that Jody went missing seemed kind of inconsistent. Like he told police that he had told a store clerk that he was looking for a missing girl, but when the store clerk was questioned, the person denied this ever happening. Ray also said that he spoke with an officer at a nearby park while searching for Jody very soon after she would have been abducted, but the officer denied this too. But still, Raymond denied any involvement in Jody's abduction and death, and police didn't actually have any evidence, so they couldn't charge him. He was the one and only suspect in their minds though, so they watched him closely and just hoped that he would slip up. And even people close to Ray and others in the community felt that he was guilty because that's what the police were saying. The police told people in this community that Ray's DNA was found on her body, which again, wasn't true, and that sand from his backyard was found in her shoes. Why would you lie like that? I yeah, mean, I, what? Well, I understand during like the interrogation process, if you do this, which by the way, is not illegal. Totally, um, totally, totally. But to do this and then, <laughs> and then tell the community that it's actually true, it's just kind of fucked up. I think in a lot of cases when police do this and the person is actually guilty, you know, saying that you have evidence against them is actually helpful because then they fall for it. But you can't go around spreading rumors as the police and telling people that you have evidence that you don't have. Like that is so unethical. I 100% agree. So days after Jody's death, her family's pastor gave them the money to buy the cat Zap from the animal shelter, which is just really- So sweet. So amazing, yeah. Because Jody's mom, Valerie, knew how much that cat meant to Jody. And I can't imagine how you know happy that made her mom too, almost having this piece of Jody in a way, you know, having the cat around the house, knowing that Jody loved that cat so much. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was totally thinking that as well. So during Jody's funeral, countless people showed up to support her family and show their respects while Valerie tried hard to remind people that there was still a guilty person out there. When she was asked what she would want to say to the person responsible for her young daughter's incredibly untimely passing, she said, 
say your prayers because I'd kill them for what they did. She advised people that they were going to print out bumper stickers and posters with Jody's face on them so that no one in the community would forget about what happened to her. Over the next few years, investigators received over 1,400 tips on Jody's case. They also interviewed over 1,000 people and they collected over 600 pieces of evidence. Yet still, it didn't bring them any closer to discovering what really happened to Jody and who was responsible. So when Jody's bike was found, it was propped against an over 100-year-old tombstone from the 1800s belonging to someone with the last name Moyer. And investigators wondered if there was any kind of connection between her murder and this tombstone. They were able to find a connection actually between a Moyer and Jody, but it seemed more like a coincidence than some kind of breakthrough clue. So investigators continue to believe in Ray McCann's guilt, and they interviewed him over 20 times over the course of five years. Each interview, Ray agreed to talk to them without an attorney present, and each time he denied any involvement, and one time saying, quote, you want a confession I can't give you. Didn't find her, didn't put her there, didn't kill her. In 2012, police once again asked Ray why his DNA would be on Jody's body, and he responded that he had absolutely no idea. Later in another interview, they asked him this again, and his only excuse was that maybe it had somehow gotten there when he pulled Valerie away from Jody's body after they found her. But Valerie insisted that this did not happen and that Ray never touched her. So to police, it seemed like Ray was making a lot of stuff up, but he always stood by his innocence. But the one thing that we really have to remember in this case is that his DNA was not found on her. So police were really honestly consistently asking this question in hopes of Ray finally confessing. And this could explain why he was trying to think up reasons why his DNA would be on her body in the first place, because it really wasn't. He just didn't know that because police insisted that it was. But them spreading these lies to basically the entire community made this town essentially turn against Ray when there wasn't any evidence that he was involved. And in fact, there was some male DNA found at the crime scene and it didn't match Ray's. The only reason police suspected him was because he was the one that asked to check in the cemetery. So did he really say this to be helpful? Or did he know that Jody was there because he was the one who put her there? Being true crime listeners, I think we're all hyper aware of our safety and the safety of our families as well. This is why we love Simply Safe an advanced home security that puts you first. Simply Safe gives us such peace of mind knowing that our home is protected by a trustworthy and innovative company, whether we're home or away on a trip. Setting the alarm couldn't be easier, the cameras are fantastic, and they even offer monitoring and live guard protection so you can speak to an agent in seconds if something happens at your home. They also detail local violent and property crime, as well as other hazards, right there in the app so that you can stay aware of the happenings in your area. They're the best home security system out there, hands down. We are so happy to partner with Simply Safe to offer you guys an exclusive 20% discount 
on a new system with FastProtect monitoring. All you need to do is visit simplysafe.com slash going west to claim this discount. Simplysafe.com slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We all love a good mystery, especially when they involve as many twists and turns as our favorite mobile game, June's Journey. Take your sleuthing to a whole new level by playing June Parker in the hunt to uncover her sister's killer. You'll find hidden clues, solve mystifying puzzles, and even navigate trap doors while you find the truth. To make things even more fun, June's journey takes place in the roaring 20s between New York and Paris. And you can do things like decorate your own luxury island estate and even customize your gameplay. Plus, you can even chat and play with other players by joining a detective club. So this makes it such a fun game to play with friends. There's complex levels and scenarios that you'll have so much fun getting through to uncover new secrets. I have always been such a big fan of mystery games since I was a little kid, so getting to play a detective game on my phone has been such a blast, and I really look forward to playing June's Journey. That's why I know you guys will too. Are you ready to jump back in time, detectives? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Spring is here, and the weather is warming up, so it's time to refresh your wardrobe which Daphne and I both just did with Quince. Quince offers timeless wardrobe staples that will keep you looking effortlessly chic throughout the entire year, with items like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts for just $30, washable silk tops, and so much more for men and women. The best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, so you're getting high-quality items for less. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. Which we love. Heath just got some great sunglasses, t-shirts, and shorts from Quince, and I got some amazing linen jumpsuits and tops. Everything is so comfortable and fashionable. It really is. So get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash going west for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash going west to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash going west. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Allergies are the worst. Heath and I are constantly getting stuffed up, which can make recording Going West episodes a huge challenge. Like, I have wasted so many days using other allergy medications this year just for them to not work that I had to go to the doctor and see what was up. But when I tried Claritin D, I knew that it was the one allergy medication that I could actually count on working. And luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers like me and Daphne, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Before that break, we discuss the police's intense belief in Ray's guilt. 
Since they didn't have any evidence on him but felt pressured to make an arrest, seemingly just for the sake of closing the case, they decided to arrest Ray McCann for five counts of felony perjury, aka willingly telling something that's not true, in 2014, so seven years after Jody was murdered. As we mentioned, police compared Ray's claims regarding his whereabouts that night with other witnesses, and they didn't match up. Ray had also claimed to have walked down a particular street around the time Jody would have been abducted, but when the police checked the creameries, it was like a, a creamery was the, the building that he would have walked past. When they checked this creamery surveillance footage on that very street, he never came up. And to be fair, this camera was only situated at one angle that wasn't even pointed at said path that Ray said he took. So this was later disputed. Ray agreed to plead no contest in exchange for a lesser sentence and just one count of perjury, and he was sentenced to 20 months in prison. So he wasn't officially charged with her murder, but him being in prison made a lot of people in the community feel safer and like justice had been served in some small way. But this could not be further from the truth. In August of 2015, a 10-year-old named Mackenzie Stafford from White Pigeon, Michigan, which is just outside of Constantine, got herself out of a terrifying situation. She was riding her bike when a man lured her into his garage by asking for help with something. The man then pinned Mackenzie against his car in the garage and she tried to scream. So he put his hands over her mouth and neck and said, shut up or I'll kill you. Then he tried to tie her up with extension cords, but during this process, when the man was you know, putting his knife down, Mackenzie was able to break free and she took off running. As she ran down the street, she screamed for help and later explained the entire situation to her parents and to the police. God, could you imagine? I, I can't. She at was all. 10 years old. Yeah, and just amazing, you know, the fact that she was able to get away from this man who was trying to kill her. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, I'm so glad she got away, but what a scary situation. And as you can probably guess, this is really going to help in Jody's case. Because when police heard about this, they compared the similarities in not only area and age, but the fact that both Mackenzie and Jody were riding bikes. And they wondered if the man behind Mackenzie's attack was the one who really killed Jody. This man lived at the Colonial Estates Mobile Home Park, but Mackenzie didn't know him personally. She knew which house was his, but that was pretty much it. Investigators found that the man's name was Daniel, or Dan, Furlong, and he was 65 years old. Uh, that just makes this whole thing so much worse in my mind, because often we hear about these cases involving young children, and they're usually like in their like mid-30s to 40s. This guy's 65 years old. And, you know, as a 10-year-old, she's like, oh, this guy needs my help. She's just being a sweet 10-year-old. And little does she know as a 10-year-old that he's uh, this horrible fucking predator. So Dan, for a long, by the way, he had somehow had no previous criminal record. And he was a local youth sports coach. Oh, God. <sighs> Makes you sick. So it seemed extremely odd and concerning that this man, this local youth sports coach, could be the one who attacked Mackenzie. But he was. And it all made a lot more sense when police searched his house 
and discovered a kidnap list inside. Oh my god, like, that is horrifying. Oh my god. And this list indicated that he planned to abduct multiple other young girls in the area. Yeah, I, like, oh so glad god. this dude was found, but what the F? No, yeah, and the fact that he's just planning to abduct The fact more... that you have a list of names, oh my god. Yeah, because a lot of the times, you know, predators, they'll have, you know, like, child pornography in their home or something like that. But this guy literally has a an, hit ab- list. an abduction list. Yeah, jeez. So with that, police felt even more confident that Daniel may have killed Jody, and even another girl about 10 years before Jody, a six-year-old girl named Brittany Beers. And just to give kind of a highlight on Brittany's case briefly, whose case is still unsolved, she was playing outside of her family's home at Village Manor Apartments in Sturgis, Michigan, just a 15-minute drive from Dan Furlong's house, on September 16th, 1997, when she hopped on her bike at around 7.30 p.m., which she often did. An hour later, her mom, who left to run errands, saw Brittany riding around the neighborhood. But just minutes later, a witness saw Brittany speaking to an unknown man driving a red or brown mid-sized vehicle. She told this witness that she, quote, made a new friend and then was never seen again. When her mom returned home just 30 minutes after leaving, she wasn't home, and her bike was found in the same area that she had been speaking with this unknown man. The witness was able to put a composite sketch together, which actually does look kind of like a slightly younger Daniel Furlong, who would have been in his 40s at this time. However, the witness described the man to be in his late 20s or early 30s, with short, dark hair and a thick mustache. Unfortunately, we cannot confirm what type of car Daniel drove during the 90s, but police felt that he could possibly be involved since Brittany had been living in Michigan, she was a very young blonde girl, and she had been riding her bike. But it's also important to note that Brittany's older brother, as well as her younger sister, were removed from the family home by Michigan courts just a year after Brittany's disappearance. So sadly, the allegations state that the children in the house were both sexually and physically abused by their father, Raymond Beers, and his brother, James Beers, and another man named Kevin Folsom. Oh my, that's just so sick. It's so sad. So Kevin had been imprisoned for molesting Brittany, like he was charged, but disgustingly, he was released in 2008. So Dan Furlong never admitted to having anything to do with Brittany's case, but it does seem like she was abducted by a stranger since, you know, some of her last words were, I made a new friend. Like, that's that, that's a pretty good clue. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, we posted the composite sketch and all the photos of these girls on our socials. Um, and you can just find all photos of all episodes on there. So go check out our socials, Instagram at Going West Podcast. Twitter at Going West Pod, and then we're also on Facebook. So back to Jody's case. Daniel Furlong was arrested for the attempted assault of Mackenzie, and his DNA was tested against DNA found at the scene of Jody's murder. And finally, a match was made. His DNA matched a blood and saliva sample that was found on Jody's clothing. And on top of that, police discovered that Daniel was living on 5th Street in Constantine at the time that Jody was murdered, which was very close to her own house. He had never been questioned or mentioned at all, but when he was questioned after his August 2015 arrest, he denied being involved, 
but an investigator told him, a drop of your blood, Dan, was on her collar. A question of whether or not you're involved is off the table. And because of this actual DNA, unlike what they had on Ray McCann, which was nothing, Daniel Furlong was charged with Jody Perrick's murder. He continued to deny involvement, but since police knew he was involved, Dan was offered a plea deal where he would plead guilty to second-degree murder and give a full confession of what he did to her. And sadly, this would mean that the felony murder, the kidnapping, second-degree criminal sexual conduct charges, and all charges against Mackenzie were all dropped. And Dan agreed to this. And finally, Dan admitted to killing Jody. And he even said that he intended to do the very same thing to Mackenzie if she hadn't have escaped. In court on November 18th, 2015, so almost exactly eight years after Jody was killed, Daniel Furlong calmly and bluntly explained exactly what happened the evening that Jody was murdered. According to Dan, just before 5.30 p.m. on November 8th, 2007, Jody began riding her bike past his Constantine house when he stopped her to ask for help. He had been cleaning his boat in his house at the time, and Jody agreed to help. But as soon as she walked into his garage, he grabbed her and tied her hands behind her back with zip ties while Jody asked him to let her go. He then put her in his boat inside the garage where he sexually assaulted her, and Dan claims that he molested her and did not rape her. Dan then explained to the court that he put a bag over her head and he killed her. He said this whole encounter lasted about 30 to 45 minutes, and he only killed her because he was afraid that she was going to go to police for him sexually assaulting her. Kickstart your summer with the hottest deals on DoorDash during Summer of Dash Pass. Because Summer of Dash Pass is back and better than ever with five weeks of deals plus exclusive items that you can only get on DoorDash. Heath and I are always ordering from DoorDash. We actually just got some salads delivered a few minutes ago for lunch because not only is it easy and convenient, but DoorDash has countless available options and $0 delivery fees for DashPass members. Yeah, whether you're looking for food from a local restaurant, grocery stores, or even retail shops and more, DoorDash is the place. And now, through July 24th, save on all of your must-haves with member-only deals. Get the best deal and exclusive items from your favorite brands like Taco Bell, Popeyes, and Ulta Beauty. Order on DoorDash and save big during summer of Dash Pass. Sign up today. Dash Pass benefits apply only to eligible orders. Terms apply. Again, this kind of thing makes me so mad. It's like, you're going to get caught. Would you rather go to prison for sexual assault or sexual assault and murder? Yeah. I, I just don't get it. I mean, that mindset that you have to cover your tracks. It's like, first of all, I mean, you're a sick fuck for doing that in the first place for oh, yeah. sexually assaulting a minor. But on top of that, like, do you really think you're going to get away with this? I just don't get it. So then Dan says that he put Jody in the passenger seat of his pickup truck and her bike in the back, and he drove to the cemetery after the sun set. And then he said he found the spot that was the darkest. Dan stated that Jody was, quote, just scared as hell. And when asked how he knew this, he said, quote, because she was wiggling around and stuff. 
She said, will you let me go? And I said, I can't let you go, honey. He then explained that he removed the zip ties from her body before leaving the cemetery, and then he threw them away at home. He also threw away the clothes that he was wearing that night. And Dan was asked how he felt about what he did, and he said, sad, very sad. Now I'm ashamed of myself, ashamed that I did this to my family. But now that it's all coming out, it's taken a burden off me. I just don't get this because you're ashamed of what you did, but then you continue to do it. You tried to do the same thing to Mackenzie and who knows who else. What? No, he was ashamed he got caught. Uh, Yeah, and the whole it's taken a burden off me thing as if, oh, I feel so much better. It's like you still did a horrible thing that cannot be taken back. You killed a child. Yeah. So stupid. And after all of this, police didn't believe that kidnapping Jody was Dan's very first time. They said, you don't just start doing this at 57 years old. Totally agree. 100%. He was questioned about Britney Beer's case as well, but Dan insisted that Jody was the only child that he ever kidnapped and killed. But remember, he denied doing that until he was given a plea deal and then finally he was like, okay, I'll say it. Exactly. And for this crime, for the murder of 11-year-old Jody Perrick, 65-year-old Daniel Furlong was sentenced to 30 to 60 years in prison. And since this was all happening at the tail end of Ray McCann's sentencing, and they didn't know if Ray was possibly an accomplice, he ended up serving the entire 20-month sentence and was released from prison in December of 2015, just a few months after McKenzie's attack and weeks after Daniel's arrest. But it was clear that Jody's death was completely carried out by one man, and one man only, and that was Daniel Furlong. After Ray's release, he was asked why he even agreed to take this plea deal if he was innocent, and he said, the system already failed me. I wasn't gonna take the chance of going to trial and being charged with life. I didn't want to, but I had to. I knew I'd get home sooner. The system failed and I saw it. I felt like I was set up from day one. And by the way, after spending nearly two years in prison wrongfully, Ray McCann sued the police officers who built a case against him, and Ray was eventually awarded $40,000 from the state of Michigan for his wrongful imprisonment. Which is honestly such a small price for the hell that he was put through for 10 years, because not only did he spend two years in prison for something he didn't do, but his community and some people in his own family actually essentially exiled him and he wasn't able to live a normal life for years, which forced him to move away. And then on top of that, he went to prison. Like, this, I, I just feel like $40,000 is not enough Yeah, that's money. so not enough for two years of your life taken, plus more. I mean, obviously, you well, know. Well, yeah, because at least seven years, I can't remember, seven or eight years before his arrest, he was completely exiled. Yeah, people thought he was a suspect, or the main suspect. Exactly. And Ray later stated, quote, it was just one of the places to search that was on my mind. I was searching the whole night through different places. It was just a place I hadn't got a search yet regarding the cemetery. So he really was just trying to help that night. And it changed his life forever for the worse, which is just devastating. And because of what police were telling everyone, even Jody's mom felt that he was responsible and she didn't understand why he was lying. She said back in 2014, it's kind of bittersweet because everybody that loves Jody is glad that the case is moving forward, 
but most of the McCann family is like family to us, so both families are suffering for both people involved. I don't know if Ray is lying to protect himself or someone else. But after Daniel was found guilty, there were a lot of people feeling bad about what Ray had gone through. His family spoke on what his life was like during the years before Daniel's arrest, how he lost his job, his family's support, and his trust in the judicial system. They explained how happy and relieved that they were to see police finally looking at someone other than Ray. So Mackenzie's escape helped keep Daniel Furlong away from who knows how many other young girls. And she knew this and knew that Jody and maybe other girls didn't get so lucky. In an interview, she said, I just had tears coming down and I just was super scared because I felt bad for Jody because Jody was going through what I was going through, but much worse. I'm happy he's in jail, but sad for Jody. I want to see her mom. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And next week, we'll have two new episodes for you guys to dive into. I know that, you know, every true crime case is devastating, but I know that it's kind of particularly hard for a lot of us to hear stories about young children. But I just felt that this case was really important because somebody was wrongfully imprisoned, because this guy almost got away with assaulting and murdering multiple girls. Yeah, and we don't even know. He may have killed other young girls as well. So it, Exactly. And Jody was just trying to ride her bike. She wasn't doing anything wrong. And so we just wanted to tell her story. So thank you guys so much for listening to it. Thank you for checking out our show. We appreciate it and love you guys so, so much. Remember, patrons, we're going to be doing shout outs for one more week and then we're going to stop doing them because it's just become very, very complicated to do those. Uh, but for now, we got to give you guys thanks. Yeah. So again, we're so sorry, guys. We love giving the shout outs, but it's just gotten super complicated because thankfully, because of you guys, we're getting so many patrons, but so many names are slipping through the cracks and we've been getting a ton of messages. So we just feel horrible and don't want that to happen. So um, we just appreciate you guys. So please just know that. So thank you so much, Tara, Austin, Allison, Jayanne, Leanne, Shayna, and Brandy. And a big thanks going out to Carrie, Sarah, Kelly, Ashley, thank you, Hannah, thank you, Alexandria, Janelle, Caroline, and Bailey. Thank you so much to Aaron, Amanda, Georgia, Robert, Angelie. Thank you so much, Lauren, Savannah, Kimberly, Chelsea, and Rita. And we got a big thanks going out to Kate, Fong, Brittany, Victoria, thank you, Claire, Kat, Kim, Dorothy, thank you, Melissa, thank you, Jennifer, Angelica, Sadie, and Kristen. And last but not least, thank you so much to Callan, Rachel, Taylor, Lauren, Sarah, Whale, hello there. I don't, hey, Whale, hello there to you. <laughs> if, if you. If that sounds familiar and you want your name shout out next week, just message us in the next few days and we'll give you your name and actual shout out. Thank you, Caroline, Jillian, Stephanie, Carly, William, Rachel, and Megan. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for becoming patrons. You really help the show keep going, as we say always. And we just love the hell out of you. Yes, we do. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, everybody who's not a patron as well for sharing the show. Every time you share our show on social media or with a friend, it just helps us get noticed. So does leaving a nice review. 
So we just really appreciate you guys for helping spread the good word of going west. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, cheerio and don't be a stranger. private Christian university is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.